The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Know His hope And sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world Falls around me I rest And know That He has found me Christ the rock Is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. Well, you've probably been wondering what could possibly be the topic of this episode, right? Well, actually the title gives it away, but in case you missed it, here we go again with He Gets Us. I mean, it's like a weak old fish washed up on a shore that you're trying to throw away but behaves like a boomerang and keeps returning, along with all of the stink of a rotting fish. The He Gets Us campaign is like a really terrible episode of Lost in Space, where they're utterly and completely lost. That's right. Once more, the newest videos presented by He Gets Us do not disappoint us. Yes, that's right, the same crowd who are devoid of any biblical understanding or discernment have once again decided to drag a worldly version of Jesus out of the closet of secular humanism and have proceeded to use him like a feather 
to tickle the emotional heartstrings of the unregenerate. Now, some who are confused about biblical truth might even now be complaining that the above comments are not loving. They're not Christ-like, because we all know that Jesus was always kind and always sweet, and that he would never hurt anyone's feelings, right? Wrong. Jesus called people hypocrites, vipers, whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones, fool, and he tells people that their father is the devil. So much for Jesus being limited to a meek and mild, milk-toast mama's boy. No, the truth is that Jesus called it like it is. Jesus spoke boldly and confidently, and he was not consumed with the bent on political correctness, participation trophy, care bear, all-inclusive, unlimited affirmation of everything that is in the mainstream feature of today's liberal culture. Now, before we get started, let's be clear. The following videos presented by He Gets Us appear to portray real people who are suffering from real problems. And if He Gets Us had not chosen to connect each person and their problem in order to present a heretical and incorrect view of who Jesus is, then there would be no problem. But this is what he gets us constantly does, is to use people to misrepresent and to present false doctrine about Jesus and the Bible to prop up their campaign. By disclaimer, None of the following comments are intended to make fun of or to belittle any of the people involved. Instead, the following commentary is specifically directed at He Gets Us and their adoption of inappropriate and anti-biblical and at times heretical use of Jesus and or the Bible and to their flagrant presentation of a false gospel. Let's look at the newest videos to see exactly what is going on and, again, compare what we see and hear with an actual biblical world and life view. The first video in question is entitled, quote, Learning to Say Goodbye, end quote. This 4 minute and 30 second video depicts a woman seated on a couch in front of a wall covered by various photos from He Gets Us. Amidst sentimental instrumental music, the main character who is a woman is prompted by the director off screen to share what is the hardest thing to say in English. The woman begins by saying that she was raised as a devout Hindu. She goes on to reveal that saying goodbye is the hardest thing to do. 
In this case, as with others, the reason is that this woman has had the experience that oftentimes what was a casual goodbye to loved ones turned out to be a final goodbye due to the later death of that loved one. She goes on to emotionally share her regrets at not having spent more time being kinder or loving the one more who later died. Now, at this stage, all things being equal, we can and should simply default to showing empathy and compassion with this woman and with the common fate of mankind under the curse of sin. We can all identify with the emotions of the loss of friends and family, and we need not evaluate or condemn the shortcomings of those involved, since we all share some form of shortcomings. Again, the problem begins when the producers of the program attempt to falsely or incorrectly connect Jesus and or the Bible to issues of life in such a way as to mislead people or present biblical errors. You might ask, well, what information does he get us present which is incorrect or false? Well, in this case, 2 minutes and 58 seconds approximately into this video, the woman goes on to associate scripture with her situation, quoting from Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, saying, quote, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, unquote. The woman goes on to say that because Jesus said this, she feels blessed. Well, here, superficially, there are those who, like this woman, will say, well, what's wrong with this? Can't we all just take comfort in the uplifting, poetic style of words which Jesus is trying to cheer us up and encourage us all with? Is there an issue with this woman and he gets us saying that we can take comfort when we mourn based upon what Jesus says here? Well, before I answer, let's take note of what he gets us presents this woman saying next. Immediately after quoting the above verse, the woman next says this, quote, In my life experience, it was like, uh, Christianity is only for Christians. But I recently learned that, no, that's not what Jesus taught. His philosophy was all humanity encompassing, unquote. Later, this woman admits that she has asked, quote, why did God have this to happen, unquote. The answer to this question is that this woman and others are free to feel and believe whatever they want, and if it helps, well, that's wonderful. 
But the real question is whether the statements, beliefs, and feelings which He Gets Us is presenting on video are supported by actual biblical scripture in context or not. So, let's drop the feelings, the opinions, and the beliefs and instead, let's defer to the totality of Scripture for the truth. To begin with, let's biblically define what is a Christian and what is Christianity. Well, a Christian is one who follows and believes in Jesus as being the Christ, the Messiah, it's one who believes that Jesus is God, who took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, was crucified, who died, and who rose again the third day. It is one who believes that Jesus covers the sins of his elect people, and that Jesus is Lord God and Savior, and that there is no other way to heaven and eternal life but through him. It is one who believes that Jesus will return again to judge the living and the dead, and that he will rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, Christianity is that set of beliefs and faith which adheres to the above definition of Christianity as articulated by the Bible, which is the ultimate and sufficient source of all authority for meaning, morals, truth, beauty, and significance in the universe above all other sources of authority. So, yes, Christianity is only and solely for Christians because it is only those who by God's grace have a sincere abiding faith relationship in Jesus the Christ who are in fact Christians by his indwelling Holy Spirit and are justified and are being sanctified into the measure and stature of Christ which can generally be characterized as Christianity. This is precisely what Jesus did teach and what all of Scripture reveals. Regarding the Beatitudes, let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 for clarity. Quote, And seeing the multitudes, he that is Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then they opened their mouth, and he taught them, saying, unquote. So, if one reads chapter 5, verses 1 through 8 of Matthew, it is clear that all of the things which Jesus is, in te is teaching including the Beatitudes, are things which are only applicable and obtainable 
to those who are Jesus' disciples, whether in the immediate or in the extended sense. In other words, the reason that any man or woman can or is able to experience any of what Jesus is proclaiming is because we have been born from above and because we have an abiding faith in Jesus' identity as God, as Messiah, and as Lord, and that we know he will perform these things in and through us by the work of the Holy Spirit. It is not for all humanity, for all of time throughout history. It is only for Jesus' elect those whom God has chosen and called out to himself, otherwise called the church, or the out-called ones. Take the example cited of Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, which says, quote, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, unquote. Now, I'm sorry, but the fact is that non-believing atheists and humanists are not comforted by this statement. Why? Well, because atheists and humanists in general, and by and large, do not believe in God. Many do not believe that Jesus existed and the rest assume that Jesus is nothing more than a mortal man. Whichever one of those cases you wish to assume, Jesus then has no power to do anything, and the dead simply become compost. There is in this situation little, if any, comfort. In order to be comforted, in the face of death, according to Scripture, it is necessary that both the deceased and the one to be comforted have an abiding faith that God exists, that the Bible is true, and that Jesus is God. Further, it is necessary that we believe that, just to name a few, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. To be absent from the body i.e. to die, is to be present with the Lord. And to know that Jesus will return and that the dead in Christ will be raised and that those who are alive and remain shall be with the Lord and so shall it we who believe in Jesus as Lord shall ever be with the Lord in eternity. So the blessing and the comfort to which Jesus speaks of is for those who are his followers, his children, his elect, the church. It is not something applicable to those who reject Christ or who do not confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, this again is the problem with he gets us, this woman, and countless others who are kidding themselves with the poison of secular humanism, which claims that Jesus was nothing more than a wise human philosopher who provided inspiration. Further, they delude themselves with the universalistic notion that Jesus' and or God's promises are applicable 
and obtainable to all mankind throughout history, regardless of their belief or disbelief in God. All aboard! But salvation is not universalistic. The Bible makes it clear that narrow is the gate to salvation, and few there be that find it. God's promises are for his children, his elect, his chosen, according to his sovereign will. So, in contrast to the idea that Jesus' philosophy was all humanity encompassing, unquote, we have the actual proclamation of Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, quote, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in their name? and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, Given this woman's history, I'm not shocked that she and many others are not aware of this. But what is the excuse of those in He Gets Us who constantly pretend to know Jesus and the Bible? I mean, this organization has numerous serious people in their company who should know their Bible better than most. Why is it that the most basic tenet of the New Testament that proclaims that Jesus is very God of very God is absent and substituted for a Jesus who is simply a very relatable, finite human philosopher? Why do people who are charged with being salt and light and disciples of Christ content to sit around and to allow an obviously lost and hurting human being to believe biblical errors and to ask questions like, quote, why did God have this happen, unquote, instead of leaving her in darkness, would not this be the perfect opportunity to proclaim the gospel? Uh, why not say this happened because of a fallen world? Why not say it happened because Adam and Eve brought sin and death into the world through their disobedience? Why not inform her that we are separated from God because of our nature of sin, and without remission or repentance of our sins, we, one and all, will die and will be forever separated from God in hell for all eternity. Why not share with her the good news that God became flesh in the person of his son, Jesus, who fulfilled all of God's perfection and righteousness, 
and then was crucified and died for our sin and for hers. Why not tell her that Christ freely gives his completed, perfected righteousness to those who by God's grace place their faith in Jesus and his completed work? Why not tell her that we are then able to stand before God and then we will be accepted fully and completely based upon Jesus' finished work and have restored fellowship with God forever? But no, not he gets us, no. He gets us, allows this woman and countless others who will watch without discernment or understanding to fall into the same secular universalistic notion that a mere human named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago is nothing more than a philosopher dressed up in the first century equivalent of Barney the Purple Dinosaur encouraging everyone to simply be comforted when they mourn because we are all in the same boat of human drama which he somehow relates to. I think I'm going to be sick. Next up from He Gets Us, we have a 3 minute and 21 second video entitled, quote, Learning to Say, I Forgive You, unquote. In this video, a gentleman sits on the couch in front of the same wall covered by He Gets Us pictures. The off-screen director again asks the same question of, quote, what's the hardest thing to say, unquote, while, as usual, accompanied by sentimental instrumental music. The man proceeds to tell us that, Quote, it's very difficult to be a Catholic guy and discover you're gay, and they don't accept that, unquote. The man goes on to reveal that according to him, his father would scream at him and would continuously judge him. His father had a sense of machismo about everything. Apparently, the man's father took him to the Catholic church, but once there, stayed outside the building, which this man attributes to the church being viewed by his father as being, quote, feminine or stupid, unquote, and not masculine. Further, the man claims that his father felt that you could not be a man and be sensitive, nor could you be a man unless you use profanity. To continue, the man states that his father did not want to connect with him or have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with him. And then finally, the man's father died, and the man was unable, and still is unable, to forgive his father. Eventually, the video displays a quote from Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, which says, quote, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, unquote. In addition... There is a statement which appears under the video reading, quote, I forgive you can be one of the hardest things to say, especially when it comes to long-standing brokenness in family relationships. It can feel almost impossible, but Jesus taught that a merciful life is a flourishing one. <laughs> 
So, how can we take steps towards learning forgiveness even when it's hard? Jesus' love is like a second language. It takes practice, unquote. I'm falling off my chair, bro. <laughs> Here again, it is obvious that he gets us, is on a streak here, attempting to connect as many secular issues as they can with, in this case, Jesus' Beatitudes. But, as usual, these social activists that he gets us have once again, not surprisingly, isolated a beatitude and divorced it from everything else Jesus teaches, much less the rest of Scripture. So, here we are. Apparently, it's my job to open up a full-time Sunday school on the basics of correct Bible 101. Yes, here we go again. Yes, Jesus taught and brought mercy and forgiveness. Secondly, everyone Jesus brought mercy and forgiveness to was a sinner. Because according to Romans chapter 3 and others, all have sinned. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Jesus came to save sinners and to reconcile them to God. That was his mission on earth. Okay, so far so good. However, comma, but stop the presses. Stop! In every case where Jesus interacted with sinners, whatever and no matter what the sin was, when and if Jesus in fact forgave them, he did something else. You might be asking, really? What did Jesus do? Oh, I'm glad you asked because clearly he gets us is clueless. Yes, that's right. Whenever Jesus dealt with mercifully forgiving people's sin, Jesus never told people that it was okay to remain in rebellion and sin. I'll say that again. Jesus never, never... Never told people that it was okay to remain in rebellion and sin. For example, when, in John chapter 8, the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery to him, Jesus did show compassion and mercy and did forgive the woman of her sin. But, and this is the important part, in verse 11, Jesus commands the woman, after forgiving her, to do what? Quote, go and sin no more, unquote. In other words, stop rebelling. Stop sinning. You can't remain in sin 
and have forgiveness. You have to seek repentance. Well, again, this is the difference between what Jesus actually did and the error which he gets us and so many others are spewing out to those today. What's missing is that God's mercy is always connected to repentance. Sin without repentance equals rebellion. Rebellion is a state of mind and the heart where one is engaged in sin and they refuse to repent and they routinely continue to commit sin. Biblically speaking, mercy and forgiveness for sin are never realized unless and until there is sincere repentance from sin. Now, this is the breakdown in the above story. Regardless of how many other people are or are not sinning, the man portrayed in the above video, and more importantly, he gets us, are presenting a situation where a person is seeking and desires reconciliation and forgiveness because people are not or did not, quote-unquote, accept him. But there is an elephant in the room here. In this case, the elephant is that the quote-unquote acceptance that the man is seeking involves people accepting what the Bible reveals as ongoing sin and rebellion. As a result, it is biblically incorrect. It is heresy to suggest that Jesus or the Bible ever teaches that anyone, particularly a Christian, can forgive someone who rebelliously remains in biblical sin. We can only forgive somebody when and if that person sincerely repents of their sin, or as Jesus said, quote, go and sin no more, unquote. Again, this is the problem with he gets us. Rather than having the courage to remain biblical and to boldly proclaim the truth that sin and rebellion bring death and hell, and that Christ brings a new nature with the power of repentance from sin, transformation, holy living, and sanctification, he gets us instead has succumbed to worldly, secular, carnal, fallen philosophies bent ultimately on catering to those captivated by sin. He gets us, seeks to leave people where they are in their sin with a Christ who is impotent and can do nothing for them because he is only a mere man. And when he gets us, provides the excuse and the approval to continue sinning, he gets us, winds up leading even more people into the captivity of sin, Satan, and potentially hell. Hello? Hey. Hello, anybody home? Huh? Think, McFly, think! So, Jesus' love may be like a quote-unquote second language which requires practice, but if we're going to practice being like Christ then we need to practice 
all of Christ's attributes, including righteousness, holiness, justice, mercy, grace, and love. To simply practice one to the exclusion of all the others means that we are not being fully Christ-like. This concludes this episode. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Bye.